Black Chat. Malcolm Turnbull announced that the laws of maths do not apply here. <laughs> One of my favourite brands of comedy aerial is brown people and black people <laughs> making fun of white people. Senators have been dropping like flies recently. Shouting out the fact that in the Knowles-Carter family, women just have one name. Backchat on FBI Radio. Yes, you're listening to Backchat, the freshest rap of news and current affairs on your radio. You're listening to Swetha Das, that's me. And today, my co-host is the beautiful Natalie Sekolovska. Hello, Nat. Hi, Swetha. Nice to have you in the studio, usually on the other side. Yeah, usually I'm in the producer's booth. So, I mean, this is a very nice change to be on the other side. It's nice to hear your voice. And now you can correct me on air (laughs) instead of online. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I was kind of like thinking before this is, you know, it kind of feels a bit like musical chairs because I mean, last week you were away. And so, yeah, you know, just rubbing it in. No, we had Madison, um, the lovely Madison, and we had Johnny Lou come in, who was incredible. And now today, so Madison's away and I'm here. I love it. I mean, it's great to have so much talent in the studio to replace, to to show us how replaceable we are. Madison, let's see how good Natalie is. I hope she's not listening. No, I hope she's. (laughs) Hi to Madison. Hi, Madison. We have a really exciting show today. It is National Refugee Week, and we have lawyer Regina Jeffries from the Caldor Center lined up to chat to us about the immigration situation in the US. But up first, Nat. Why are we talking about the World Cup? Well, it's been everywhere in the media. Mm -hmm. And usually I wouldn't be talking about the World Cup because I'm not the world's hugest (laughs) soccer fan. Really? (laughs) Or biggest soccer fan. No, not really. Um, But I mean, there was one headline that caught my eye. Um, So this week, for the first time since 1980, women in Iran were allowed to watch the World Cup in the same stadium as men. Wow. (laughs) It's pretty incredible. So I mean, they got to watch Iran's World Cup match against Spain the other day. Um, There was a bit of drama, however, because the screening at the Azadi Stadium um, in Iran was actually cancelled earlier on in the week um but i mean people were angry about that women and men ended up turning up anyway in protest um and so then you know the organizers were like well what do we do now we have all of these people here so they backflipped and did the screening anyway oh i love it i mean you know you can protest gender equality in anything even sport exactly exactly and it's great because now we get to talk about the world cup on back (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's the first time women get to watch soccer since 1980. Well, I mean, any sporting event, really. So women have been banned from watching men's sporting events in Iran for almost 40 years. And I mean, I honestly don't know what's more shocking, the fact that women haven't been allowed to watch these sporting events for so long, or the fact that 1980 was actually 40 years ago. I mean, (laughs) what's going on here? What did we miss? quite surprising. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Excited to see how that plays out. Exactly. If it continues, if there's more protests. Definitely. Keep track on that. But, um, um, let's move to Australian news. So there's been an inquiry launched into sexual harassment in the workplace. It's been launched by Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins. And so basically the inquiry will hold public consultations in major cities and regional centres to talk about the main drivers of sexual harassment, whether there are any policies or laws that can be changed to help prevent it. Uh, what do you think about the inquiry? I think it's great. I think it's definitely a step forward. And I mean, you know, it's also fantastic because it is a world first. And, you know, it's really great to see Australia actually take the lead on something. Yeah, I mean, we take the lead on a lot of things, but they're never 
good thing. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely a great thing to see um, happening. But I mean, you know, underreporting is a real concern when it comes to these inquiries, Absolutely. reports, surveys. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, we kind of saw it uh, when it came to the National Survey into Sexual Assault and Harassment on University campuses last year, which was conducted by the Australian Human Rights Commission. Um, and I mean, you know, they actually had to make a special like note in the report, which said that, you know, these numbers are shocking and they're huge. But at the end of the day, people don't come forward for, you know, whatever reason. And um, the numbers might actually be much, much higher. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's definitely great to, to raise awareness about this through this inquiry. And and also, like, it's great that we're doing this. But because it's a world first, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And exactly. whether, you know, its method is actually going to be effective in actually being able to yeah. calculate how bad well, I mean, sexual harassment is in exactly. the Exactly. Yeah. It's definitely promising, um, you know, going back to the survey um, into university campuses, over 30,000 students across 39 universities, Australian universities, were surveyed. So, I mean, that's a, that's a huge yeah, and sample. People, people are now empowered to talk. Exactly. Especially after the Me Too movement. People are more empowered. But we just we want to make sure that, you know, whatever we find out from this results, from this inquiry, that things are being actioned. Exactly. And I mean, you know, hopefully this leads to more substantive change. I think, you know, here in Australia, we're great raising awareness, you know, talking about these issues, conducting inquiries into things. And that's fantastic because, you know, it shines a light on behaviour that we haven't spoken about before. But I mean, I came across this tweet and it really made me think about what kind of substantive action we have taken. Um, it was, it said that the, uh, the UN expert on violence against women has called on all Australian governments to stop mistreating women in prison and discriminatory over imprisonment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women to stop locking up women because they can't afford to pay fines. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whatever we talk about and do, we shouldn't forget Indigenous women and women of colour. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we need to remember that there are a lot of gendered issues that we need to be talking about. And just because we know about them doesn't mean that we can sit back and take the back seat. We, we really need to... Drive yeah. some change. Exactly. Absolutely. Ah, oh, Nat, it's been a bad week. Let's talk about the ABC. So last week, more than 100 MPs and members of the Liberal Party met at their annual federal council where a majority voted to privatise the national broadcast. And this is something we've been talking about for the past few weeks on Batchat. We We're really passionate about this. Exactly. Leave the ABC alone. <laughs> I know. I mean, it. it's definitely a, a bit of a witch hunt. It's I mean, a witch hunt. <laughs> oh, my God. People, people aren't happy. I mean, you know, the ABC, the ABC is great. Um, and, you know, I think That's it's, a biased opinion. It I, is a biased opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if this is a left wing. <laughs> almost like it is, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Ugh. Michelle Guthrie, the managing director, described the ABC being used as a punching bag. We actually have uh, a grab from Michelle Guthrie, so let's listen to that. The facts are that we reach 72% of Australians on a weekly basis. Now, again, you know, I know that, that you know, people don't like me pointing this out, but that is more popular than the, the two major parties combined. So the idea that we are you know, um, representing a, an extreme ideological view is inconsistent with the, the, the reach and the impact and the relevance we have every day, every week, every month. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there are definitely concerns here that the ABC is 
representing an extreme ideology or that, you know, it's left-leaning. But I mean, you know, or that it's biased. But I mean, you know, they actually had the Institute of Public Affairs, the IPA, on ABC, arguing for the privatisation of the ABC. I mean, that's a very bizarre sentence. <laughs> I know. It's, look, the conversation needs to move on from whether news is objective or not. That's a really old conversation. And we know that it's 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 useless to talk about news being objective. Everything has some sort of ideology or framing to it. Um, but it should be about whether the ABC has integrity, whether they do good journalism, and they have, and they're proven it, and they are popular. And so I'm not... I, in my heart, my idealistic heart, I don't think anything too terrible is going to happen yeah. yet. I think it's all just talk. Yeah. Um, it's a witch hunt. We'll see how it goes. Um, but until then, keep watching the ABC. Keep watching SBS because they're fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fine. Keep watching They've them. been pretty low-lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I wanted to plug Michael Hing's uh, comedy video about uh, if they privatise the ABC, the money should go to the to SBS. It's a hilarious oh, wow. video. It's on his Twitter, so definitely check yeah. that out. Uh, but Nat, more news. Yeah, so I mean, the federal government is considering new English language requirements for anyone seeking permanent residency, with figures showing close to one million people in Australia can't speak basic English. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting fact. It is. One million people can't speak basic English. Me included in that. (laughs) Uh, But I don't know. We're both children of migrants. We are. Um, Both English-speaking migrants, but still, nonetheless, children of migrants. (laughs) Um, Do you think it's that big an issue? I think I think it's very important when we're opening up a dialogue about these kinds of things that, you know, we, we look at these stats, but we look at them from the lens of not ostracising people or using language that might isolate yeah, you know, definitely. migrants or people from non-English speaking backgrounds or, you know, their children, grandchildren. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important. Um, I think it was the Multicultural Affairs Minister, Alan Tudge, Um, who said that this was a concerning situation um, because it's not in the interests of these migrants and it's not in the interests of social cohesion because we can't communicate with one another and it's very difficult to integrate. But, I mean, I have a story here. Please tell me. It's a personal story. Yes. But I think it's a very... It's it's a nice story that I think kind of goes against what Mr Tudge is saying. (laughs) (laughs) Just the fact that... um, So, I'm from... I have a Macedonian background... So my grandparents and my parents were born in Macedonia and then they migrated to Australia. I'm born in Australia. Um, but my grandparents actually live in Tempe and my grandpa has this little garden at the back of his house and every morning he, you know, people come, you know, his neighbours come to his house and these are people who, you know, are from English-speaking backgrounds and, you know, who can't really communicate with him because they don't speak Macedonian. Um, but he still does his very best to speak in English to them and it's not because he's, you know, he's not unwilling. Like, he, he does his very best. And so he gets, like, a little basket of, you know, veggies and fruits from his garden. Aww. And he gives it to them. That's sweet. And they, like, trade. And it's it's just such such a nice kind of, you know, that is social cohesion. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, we, like, we should really celebrate Australia's multiculturalism and all the breadth and beauty of all the languages that migrants bring. This reminds me of when I was in primary school. I used to pronounce, I used to say eyebrows, I used to say it as eyebrows, because that's how (laughs) Indians say eyebrows, right? And I remember like these, like when I was in primary school, these girls were like, did you just say eyebrows? (laughs) 
And I was like, does your mom speak four languages? <laughs> I didn't think so. Exactly. I mean, I can mispronounce a word. But I'm fine. I have a pass. <laughs> multilingual, yeah. Um, I think it will be really interesting to see how this plays out. I think that it's not necessarily wrong to ask migrants to learn English. I do think the rhetoric shouldn't be about alienating them. And if you want them to speak English, there should be resources put into providing classes and making sure that... Um, it's a positive learning experience, yeah. not something to alienate yeah, them. Yeah, and I don't think it should be the main thing in, you know, kind of bringing migrants over to Australia. I mean, it shouldn't be the main thing that we're thinking about. Oh, can these migrants or can these people speak English? I mean, you know, they have a lot of great qualities that they can bring to Australia. And I think, you know, we should should kind of look at this from a holistic perspective rather than focusing solely on language and being like, oh my God, people aren't, you know, speaking English. integrating ah. into Australian society because they don't speak English. Definitely. So, yeah. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Text us Text us on 0409-945-945. Tell us what you think. We spoke about a lot of different topics. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say on it. Uh, but right now we're going to go to a song. Um, and after these songs, we're going to be speaking to Regina Jeffries about the immigration situation in the US. This is a new song by Beyonce and Jay-Z. This is Ape Shit. I think there's a language warning on this. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Backshot on FBI Radio. We just played Drew Barrymore by SZA. And before that was Ape Shit by Beyonce and Jay-Z. Great songs. But right now, we have a very exciting interview. Yeah. So this week, Australia recognised uh, National Refugee Week. It helps to raise awareness about the issues affecting refugees. Um, so this year, Australia's Refugee Week actually coincided with World Refugee Day. Um, it's particularly pertinent given the international outcry concerning the US's treatment of immigrant families and their government's policy to separate undocumented families at the border. Um, and also closer to home, Australia's treatment and detainment of, um, refu- of um, you know, refugees here as well. I think, you know, that's also a very big issue. Um, so we've actually got Regina Jeffries, um, who's a teaching fellow at UNSW. She's a trained immigration attorney and she's also at the Cowdor Centre. She received the National Advocate of the Year Award this year on June 1st for her work. Um, and yeah, so we've, we've got her on the line now. Hi, Regina. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thanks for speaking to us today. So, Thank you for having me. You worked as a lawyer in the U.S. Um, and you've obviously had a lot of experience with the immigration crisis and refugees. Can you tell us more about the situation unfolding in the U.S.? Sure. So I worked for about uh, 10 years directly in Arizona, um, which is, as you know, on the southern uh, land border with Mexico. And the U.S. shares a roughly 3,000-kilometer border with Mexico. And the border is dotted with various ports of entries or places where individuals can either drive in a car or walk up to uh, an official to request admission or asylum in the U.S. And what's been unfolding recently, um, frankly, is a bit of a crisis of the administration's own making. Um, Numbers of immigrants and asylum seekers at the ports of entry and along the border in general have been declining over the years. Um, however, what's happened is this administration put into effect what's called a, they've called it a zero tolerance policy, whereby they are prosecuting any individual um, who attempts to cross into the U.S., even if they are requesting asylum, 
Um, they they criminally prosecute them in federal court, which arguably violates U.S. and certainly violates international law relating to asylum seekers and refugees. And so as a result of that zero-tolerance policy, um, the administration has said that it requires them to separate children, um, some infants, some as young and disabled um, children, basically, from their parents without a plan uh, to, to track them and reunite them with, with families. And um, as you saw in the U.S., and as I've seen here in Australia as well, and internationally, people are genuinely and rightly outraged by, by the result of, of the administration's actions. Yeah, so, I mean, Trump recently said that he'll be reuniting families, but will still take a zero-tolerance policy. And I mean, this sounds like he's trying to, you know, reach some kind of weird balance where, you know, he's he's kind of bowing into pressure to reunite these families. But then he's also trying to reinforce this zero tolerance policy where he's like, the US is still very tough on immigration um, and, you know, these kinds of issues. So can you kind of run us through what he possibly means by this? It's It's a little bit confusing. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it, it's confusing to lots of people. He's not always clear uh, about what he means. But um, in, in general, what he's trying to argue is that the law as it currently is requires him to do these things. And, and frankly, you know, ripping children from their parents isn't a good look for him. And so he's he's tried to sort of mitigate some of that and say that the administration will be reuniting families. But similar to what happened with the Muslim ban uh, about a year ago, uh, he his administration doesn't have any real policies in place for actually accomplishing what they're required by law to do. Um, and so it, it's, it really remains to be seen sort of how the administration will deal with this because they have pushed back as well um, on, you know, people speaking out and, and the media sort of shedding light on what's been happening. They've said, look, we're not going to do anything differently than what we've done before. And I think what's interesting about um, these policies, particularly having been in Australia for for a bit, is that it's sort of the same zero-tolerance deterrence logic that has been adopted uh, by the current government and and prior governments here, in that you you can't have any type of um, compassion for individuals who are genuine refugees or genuinely seeking protection from persecution in their home country, this idea that you can't have compassion for people in order to secure borders, I think that what you see as far as the child separation policy is one extreme to which that type of logic can go. Yeah, and I mean, um, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, um, also recently announced that the U.S. would be withdrawing from the Human Rights Council because the council apparently has an anti-Israel bias. I mean, given the U.S.'s current treatment um, of, you know, immigrant families, do you do you think this was the right move? I, I, I definitely disagree with the administration's withdrawal from the human rights uh, uh, body. I mean, the the issue is... In the U.S., there's sort of this perception that, um, you know, human rights are already protected under the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that are uh, that function within U.S. law. But there's also a lot to be said for the U.S., uh, you know, taking a position in an international um, sphere. And, and in the past, what's happened is that the U.S. has sort of been able to advocate for um, human rights-based positions, um, not always, I mean, 
of course, there there are um, situations in which the U.S. has failed at that task. But um, but in general, I, mean, I think less engagement is is not good. More engagement is definitely needed, and and unfortunately, this administration's taking the the U.S. away from that. Yeah, definitely. I guess also. I mean, since you're, you've worked both in the U.S. and Australia, do you think that there is a parallel between the U.S.'s immigration policy and Australia's? I mean, there are certainly some striking similarities. I mean, just recently, uh, you know, Peter Dutton has said that, you know, compassion is, is a weakness that can basically hamper efforts to stop uh, smugglers and stop people from, from arriving to mm. Australia in boats. I mean, the, the same type of logic is being used in the U.S. And frankly, you know, it, it's it's concerning and worrying because a lot of this uh, rhetoric and a lot of this um, position around, you know, deterrence as the only answer isn't fully based on empirical studies or reality. I mean, at least in the U.S., the, um, the current, as I said, the current quote-unquote crisis at the border is it's we're at the lowest numbers of crossings and arrests and in, in years and a lot of the people that are coming are genuine refugees and they're genuinely entitled to protection under international and u.s law and i think you see a similar situation here where a lot of the individuals being detained in offshore um, centers are genuine refugees and some of them are children and I think that the questions that we have to ask is not whether we should be less compassionate, but whether there is a way to be more compassionate, but to also, you know, keep in mind legitimate state interests and then allow people to make legitimate claims for asylum and refugee status. And and I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Definitely. You know, it's a horrible situation. We're going to continue to keep track of this as it unfolds. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Regina. Thank you for having me. Uh, But that's all we have time for on the show today. Thank you to our guest, Regina Jeffries. And thank you to our producer today, Eden Faithful, who filled in for me. Um, it's, it's not easy being in the producer's booth. Well, it's not easy being in here either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you did a great job. Um, yeah, but that's all we have the show today. We're going to leave you with a song. This is I'm a Fantastic Wreck by Montaigne.